Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Good morning to you and good morning to the world as we come your way. And we look forward to this every Saturday morning to talk about what I consider the most important basic industry on the planet, producing food for a growing population. lot to talk about today. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue will be talking about maybe a trade agreement that we uh, benefit by with Japan. And uh, Max will talk to Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue in just a few minutes here on the Saturday morning show. But this time of the year, we like to start things with garden talk and full moon day. That's an important day to a lot of old-time gardeners who would always wait for the full moon in May to get their planting done because then they felt it was frost-free after that period. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk markets and a few comments on Samuelson Says about kind of an unusual subject for Samuelson Says. So all of that coming up, and we'll start it out with Jim Fazell when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Good morning, Jim Fazell. Good to have you here with us again on the Saturday Morning Show. Is it drier where you live in Park Ridge this weekend? <laughs> uh, a little bit so far. Uh, last uh, That last spell we had at the end of last week, uh, we got a little over uh, a quarter, an eighth of an inch, or I should say a fifth of an inch. We got 28 hundredths of an inch. Uh, we didn't really need it. There's plenty of moisture, uh, but they talk about more moisture coming. So if if we can uh, get out in the field or get things planted right now, it's time to do it. Well, today so, is a special day because uh, the moon is where it should be, right? Well, it is. It's a full moon today. And, you know, our old-time farmers around here, the vegetable growers, of which there were so many here in the, in our area, always said that uh, the farmers, uh, it was safe to plant after the full moon in May because that would be the last frost. But they also said you don't want to plant tomatoes until the catalpa leaves are as big as your hand. Well, catalpa leaves are barely as big as my thumbnail right now. And, of course, the frost tree date isn't until May 30. So you take your chances this year. So what should we do in the meantime? Well, you know what I would do and what I'm already doing? I'm doing a little bit of container gardening. Actually, container gardens are good whether we have uh, dry weather, wet weather, or whatever, uh, because you get big benefit, benefits from a minimum of fuss, uh, of fuss. They're just a ticket for harried homeowners with too little time to go out and dig a garden. They're good for shelf dwellers parked on the sides of the downtown high-rises. Uh, and uh, those of us with the flooded, contaminated gardens and can't plant, just the thing to do. They're going to supply you, if, once you get them started, with colorful flowers and, and fresh produce right at your fingertip, a lot closer than having to walk out even to the garden. Uh, containers fit almost any situation. I mentioned the high-rises. Uh, they work on rooftops, flat roofs. They work around the backyard patio on the little benches and little walls that you put around the patio. And they can, can serve as accents to fill voids in the border garden, uh, the perennial garden. Even You can put these out there and just have some nice bright spots. First of all, you need to consider the location. You need sun for about eight hours. Most kinds will do well if you have that much sun. If you have less than full sun, some kinds might struggle. Um, containers, 
very important that you select containers that will work. And there are big selections at the garden centers and garden stores right now, and even garage sales. You can check them for bargains. For a tomato plant, you need a 16-inch pot or a basket, or even the five-gallon egg can will work very nicely if you're not concerned about the looks of it. Uh, we always hear about planting bags. They work as well. Um, these are just bags full of a planting mix. You punch a hole on top, put the plant in it, and, and you're good to go. Uh, planter boxes around the patio, they work as well. But the one thing you need and needs to be common in all these is drainage. You have to make sure there's drainage. If you buy a container without a hole in the bottom, punch a hole in it. Um, if you have decorative pots with no holes in them, uh, you need to use a liner. Plant the plant in a liner, which you can take out or put back in, and under which uh, the water will accumulate so that you can siphon it out or pour it out. Uh, I've even gone to the point of using a turkey baster to empty some of these smaller containers. The planting mix, garden soil will not work. You need something that's a lot lighter than that. Uh, buy the potting mix, the brown potting soil mixes or... Um, uh, not the black one. The black one is muck, which is perfectly good as a soil amendment, but it does not work as, as a pot planting mix. Uh, or you can make your own. A third garden soil, a third coarse sand, and about a third brown peat moss. Those mixed together very nice will make a perfect potting soil. As far as the kinds of plants, there's really no limit except size. Annual flowers, almost of all kinds. Mixed low ones and tall ones and vines and so forth. Uh, you can see planters like that in any garden center, and you see them around uh, in the shopping areas uh, in our town. A lot of the merchants put them out in front. Uh, you can copy these. Find out what those plants are that look good to you, and go and get some and put them in a container of your own. One nice thing about it is you can refurbish them during the season if they start to look bad. Uh, just pull out the ones that look bad and plug another one in. Vegetables can be grown in the large pots or in bags, as I mentioned. Uh, try to grow the dwarf tomato kinds. Uh, the large ones get too big for the containers. They actually grow in those containers, but they're too big to handle. They take too much room. So try uh, try the dwarf kinds. Uh, bush squash work as well. Uh, you can mix vegetables and flowers in the same container. You don't need to, to um, just put a vegetable in there. You can put a tomato plant in and put marigolds around it if you'd like just to make it look nice. Uh, also, one of the things that works very nicely, if you have a patio that has a wall around the thing, you can put boxes on, the, on, the, on that railing and uh, fill them with coarse sand. Uh, plants will grow very nicely in coarse sand, and some of the things you can grow there would be some of the, some of the uh, root crops. If you have sand that's a foot deep or so, you can grow beets and carrots. Uh, that works very nicely. Of course, you can grow greens. You can grow any of the herbs in, in these boxes of sand. And, of course, if you're going to grow those things, mix them with flowers, too, so they look nice. Um, don't forget that a lot of these plants will grow vertically very well. You can use cages or trellises or walls. Uh, pole beans will work in containers. Cucumbers will work in t containers, especially the ones that are selected just for that. Uh, even walls of flowers. We've seen people who will have uh, little in an area on the side of a garage, for instance, they'll make a frame that they can uh, cover with plastic on the outside and fill that with with uh, potting mix, punch holes in there and plant, plant flowers or vegetables all the way up and down the wall. A little difficult to water, but if you allow it to water from the top, water will soak down through there and work very nicely. Um, the plants are available at garden stores right now, of course. There are plenty of plants, plenty of selection. And um, go out and take a look. Don't just 
get whatever is first in line. Look for the things you really want, um, because some of them will work more more readily than others. Uh, care, there's not as much care for these as there are for regular gardens, not many weeds. Water is the important thing, and if you're going to grow someplace where there's a little bit of stress on these plants, you may need to, to water daily or even more on a south-facing balcony, for instance. But you need to check twice a day to see how much these plants need. Once you get into the, into the uh, routine, you'll know that, okay, if the sun's out, we're going to water twice this week. If the sun's not out, we don't need to water but once this week. Fertilizer, uh, if you're using one of these potting mixes, they generally have enough fertilizer to last you about half the season. Then you will need to use some of the soluble pot plant fertilizers that you can get at any garden center. A uh, thing that you need to consider is the sun and the heat. If you're in the full sun, particularly if you're on a high rise on the south side of a building, you need to protect the plants from the sun, and of course you need to protect them from the wind. And you can use all kinds of innovative ways to do that. Um, Bugs won't be much of a problem. You can pick off the ones that are on the offending shoot and, and throw it away, uh, or you can use insecticidal soap. That works. And the important thing is to enjoy the experience, enjoy the colors, and enjoy the harvest. Have to tell you that uh, Gloria got her tomato plant growing this week, and uh, she always puts in a cherry tomato plant because that's smaller, and, uh, and we enjoy the cherry tomatoes when they ripen. Oh, yes, they're excellent on salads, that's for sure. That's uh, that's a, a good thought, folks. Uh, follow Orion's advice. Cherry <laughs> tomatoes work very nicely. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thank you for joining us this morning to get ready for the full moon gardening season that's upon us. Our visit with Jim Fazell, who is our specialist in ornamental horticulture here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 21 minutes after 5 o'clock, 46 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois. Maybe the United States did gain an advantage in one area of trade this week. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue spent the most uh, part of this week in South Korea and in Japan. And uh, Max Armstrong caught up with him yesterday. And uh, this is the first question he asked about the trade agreement. Things are happening on the trade front. Uh, can you tell us, well, what are the concrete developments that have occurred? Well, the good news is, just today, as you may know, Max, the uh, the agreement between the United States and Canada and Mexico on the retaliatory 232 tariffs have an uh, end in sight, and hopefully that's within 48 hours. And it's great news. I want to thank President Trump for continuing to follow through with his commitment of getting uh, not only a good trade deal, but getting these tariffs off that uh, had penalized our producers. Uh, Mexico and Canada are great markets, and this will restore normality and even better with the new USMCA agreement. And we we need to keep on getting it ratified, though. We've got to work to make sure our Congress passes it and passes it quickly so our farmers can take advantage of it. Does the removal of these tariffs really make a difference, uh, though, in the approval of the USMCA? I think it does. I think that has been stated both from uh, Mexico's standpoint, Canadian standpoint. I think it's a good faith gesture, and I'm very pleased that the president saw it as that way and understanding the disappointment with China felt like this was the appropriate time to uh, resolve this uh, this tariff situation with our neighbors to the north and south. 
At times in the past when trade issues have come up, we've seen bipartisan uh, opposition at times to trade agreements. How would you uh, summarize what we're seeing as far as the USMCA is concerned? I hope we're going to see bipartisan agreement because if every member of Congress reads this uh, article, reads this uh, agreement, I think they're going to come away with the conclusion that it is better in every aspect, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, than the original NAFTA. Does that mean we got everything that we wanted that was on our list? We had a big, heavy list, list to lift, and uh, I'm very proud that you know, some trade ambassador Lighthizer was able to get many of those things. One thing, obviously, that affects uh, the Southeast was the seasonal fruit and vegetable uh, we weren't able to attain, but we didn't have that in the original NAFTA either. And so uh, uh, that's what trade, that's negotiations do. But nonetheless, I would submit that uh, if Congress is apolitical, looking out for the benefit of the United States worker, the United States farmer, the United States auto worker, then they're going to vote for this agreement. Switching to Japan in the more than 15 years since the cow that killed Christmas back uh, there in 2003, we've struggled to try to get the door fully open to our beef into Japan, but now it's happened. It has happened, and we're delighted to do that. We were uh, there in this past week and uh, uh, continue to work on that. We finalized it uh, yesterday, and uh, I have announced the age restriction is gone. That'll mean a a lot more beef is able to go to Japan, and the good news is they love our product. They love U.S. beef, and frankly, it's gaining market share against Australian beef. As far as China is concerned, it almost seems to the farmer as if uh, we make two steps forward and one step back. Is there concrete progress there? Well, I think as a farmer, you might want to say one step forward and two steps back because it's very disappointing. We were engaged in very productive uh, uh, progressive uh, purchase amounts uh, and other things with China. And um, I was extremely heartbroken when China reneged on some of those previous commitments and wanted to relitigate them. And uh, sadly, that kind of fits into the pattern that they've been in the, in the over the period of time, over the years. And that's where President Trump, uh, I guess they think he's different, that they can either wait him out or, or maybe somebody's telling him there'll be another president. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think China's going to have to deal with President Trump for the next several years, and they might as well come to the table and make sense they want to play fair and by the rules. But uh, in the meantime, until they do, that's where President Trump is committed for another aid package to help support our U.S. producers, farmers, ranchers, until we can get a trade deal. There's been quite a bit of media attention of late, uh, given to the fact that farmers are getting impatient with the president. And in fact, we did see some farm organizations issuing statements this week, uh, airing their frustrations. How uh, how, how short uh, is their faith in the president at this point? Well, I think their faith in the president is great. Farmers are frustrated. Economic stress brings anxiety. It brings emotional stress. It brings frustration, Max. And that's only to be expected. But I think most farmers understand farming is a long-term game, and this president is in for a long-term gain for U.S. farmers. He's not willing to capitulate and, and give away. I, I use the example, Max, it's like if a farmer selling grain to an elevator just next door and right down the way for his farm, and he's been a good customer for them a long time, and he wakes up one day and realizes they've been cheating on the scales for years, does he keep doing business there without expecting them to get right? Or does he go somewhere else? That's what's been happening. 
for the first time, you've got a president who's willing to courageously stand up and call China out and say, you've been cheating, treat us fairly, or we're not going to play. For a moment there, I thought I was listening to an old grain dealer uh, visiting here with me. <laughs> Could be. Finally, Mr. Secretary, this weather situation in the heartland and the look at the forecast, it's discouraging uh, with the ability to plant these crops. What are you hearing, and how much attention are you devoting to this, and what is the agency considering in terms of uh, perhaps action if we can't get crops planted at a timely manner? Max, as you know, we have a preventive planting uh, portion in the farm safety net. We are always anxious when weather doesn't cooperate. But, again, that's farming. Farmers have dealt with weather variations for years. A lot of people like to talk about climate change uh, recently, but climate's been changing for farmers day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and year-to-year for years. And it's nothing they're not used to dealing with. It's always discouraging. And uh, when you can't get a crop in, you're waiting, you've got everything ready, and the weather just doesn't cooperate. The same with drought. Uh, and it's uh, it's very discouraging when we don't get cooperative weather. But uh, by and large, we always seem to get a crop in, we get a crop out eventually, even though it doesn't happen everywhere all over the place just like we'd like. But, again, that's what the American farmer does. Uh, the trend lines continue to go up, and the production continues to go up. Frankly, that's one of the problems we've seen lower prices today because we've been such good producers and uh, keep going better and better and better, and yet uh, we need more and more hungry mouths to feed. It almost seems like the perfect storm, though, I think, to many of these producers. With insufficient commodity prices as they see it and the inability to plant at this moment and trade woes out there, there's a lot coming together against them, it seems. I don't disagree with that, and that increases the anxiety. You get lower prices have been trending lower for several years now, six or seven years. You get trade disruptions with normal trade patterns uh, disrupted and markets unavailable. You get uh, more commodities in the bins that have been there. You get a wet winter, uh, fall, winter, spring, and you get to wondering what uh, what hope's out there. But farmers are resilient, and they hang on to the end of the rope, and then they tie a knot in it and uh, by and large, we, we worry every year. I guess we wouldn't be farmers if we didn't worry. Secretary of Agriculture's Sonny Perdue sharing his thoughts with Max Armstrong here on the Saturday Morning Show and uh, back from a very busy week in South Korea and Japan. We're at the halfway mark here on the Saturday Morning Show. As always, we thank you for joining us on Chicago's very own 720 WGN Radio Chicago. Time to check up on the news, and again, here's Roger. All right, thank you, Roger, and listening to that forecast, you know, it wasn't too long ago we were complaining about the bitter cold. Today we may be complaining about the humidity and the temperature again, because that's what weather does. It changes, whether we like it or not. And uh, as was mentioned in the conversation Max had with Secretary Sonny Perdue this morning, the uh, need for dry weather is really an important factor now for farmers because uh, we are looking at more showers over the next 10 days with only a day or two between showers, which doesn't really give the soil time to dry out. 
out so that it's workable. So uh, as Secretary of Agriculture Purdue said, weather has always been a challenge for farmers. Well, before the 6 o'clock news, we'll be talking markets and we'll be talking about crop conditions with a BASF representative here on the Saturday morning show. So stay with us because now we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion today talking about Mind Your Litter. Hey everyone, Laura from Garden Answer. If you want your yard to really shine, just look for the shrubs in the white proven winners containers at your garden center. They've been thoroughly tested and handpicked in order to give you a carefree, colorful yard with a whole lot less effort on your part. I trust proven winter shrubs and you can too. They've got lilacs, hydrangeas, roses, and all your favorites. And they come in a wide range of color and sizes, making them really great for all gardens. Make life colorful and easy with proven winners flowering shrubs. Watch your litter, or perhaps I should say, mind your litter. It's an unusual headline for Samuelson Says, but let me explain the reason. Every year when the snow begins to melt and we see bare ground, I hear from farmers and ranchers who ask, why do people like to use rural roads and my farm fields for garbage disposal? When the mountains of snow disappear, the mountains of litter appear along rural roads and highways, and I have to go out and pick it up. Who is doing it? People who are concerned about the environment? Well, apparently not. But there are those who have no concerns about opening car windows and throwing out food bags, cans, and containers of everything else they have consumed in the car, van, or truck, rather than keeping it in the vehicle and disposing of it when they get to a garbage can or other trash container. Well, stop it. You wouldn't appreciate it if someone living in your urban community dumped their trash in your front yard. And I just don't understand what gives people the feeling that it's all right for them to dispose of their trash along country roads and farm driveways. Stop doing it. Now, maybe it's because of the heavy snows and the long, challenging winter, but I've been hearing from more farmers and ranchers across the country complaining about it this year. And it's not just snow country. The California Farm Bureau recently wrote a long article about the rural litter problem in the Golden State. And let me get one more thing off my chest. There was a time when city folks who couldn't afford or no longer wanted to keep a pet dog would take the pet to the country and drop them off because they knew farmers liked animals and they would take care of them. That seems to be done less today, but farmers have their own pet dogs and don't want to take care of yours. If you are truly concerned about the environment and the appearance of America, mind your litter, please. And if you are concerned about animal welfare, take your pets to an animal shelter. 
My Thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Tribune Radio Networks brings us up to 20 minutes before 6 o'clock. Max Armstrong standing by with his market guest, and we'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. A weekly update from the field, courtesy of the folks at BASF, with Technical Service Representative Kurt Martins. It just keeps on raining, doesn't it, Kurt? It does in places, although we are we are getting some progress this week. It was good to see uh, the last couple of days, although we think it's a narrow window of opportunity. Uh, a lot of planters were able to move, swinging around some wet spots to be sure. I know they planted the uh, plots at the Farm Progress Show site at Decatur, but what else have you seen? Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of a lot of sprayers going, uh, still a handful of guys trying to get some ammonia on, but, but mostly the planters were going, so pretty happy to see that, that stretch this week. Uh, a little, little wet here late in the week uh, coming to the northern part of the state, but the guys down in central Illinois getting getting a break here in a little bit longer window than, than us to the north. I saw some pictures from northwest Ohio. A farmer said, we haven't turned a wheel. That was a text uh, that I received from him on Friday morning. And then uh, northern Indiana, some similar comments. Uh, are you familiar with some growers who just haven't been able to do anything to any extent yet? Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely places across northern Illinois and central Illinois and southern Illinois that are that are in the same boat. You know, they've got a little bit in, or or nothing at all, or maybe some burn down on. It's kind of all over the board. And 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 you know Mississippi River East, you know that you can you can find those those places everywhere. How tall are the weeds getting in spots? They're starting to get pretty big. They're starting to get pretty big, especially the mare's tail. It's starting to bolt, so when we talk about it, bolting meaning it's coming out of its rosette and starting to elongate up. And when it starts to do that, it starts to become a little more difficult to control. And what's the best approach to take, then, that you're recommending to growers? We've got a, th- a few different options there, Max. Uh, if you're running conventional soybeans or non, non, non-GMO non soybeans or straight Roundup soybeans, we're going to encourage growers to run their, re- their residual herbicide but have them add glyphosate in 2,4-D. Because we don't have a lot of options if they're if it's a glyphosate and ALS resistant mirror which most of the Midwest has now, the, the control options post emergence are, are, are pretty much non existent. So it's important that you get that mirror controlled in the burn down. Now if a grower has extensive soybeans planted, there's good news there. We can use a labeled dicamba formulation like Ingenia with the burn down with a product like Zidua Pro, we can go ahead and get that mirror tail. So you've got Liberty Link soybeans. It's getting warm enough now. We can think about maybe adding the Liberty in with the burn down, or running our normal burn down program, and then be able to follow up and clean up that mare's tail with Liberty post emergence. So some different options. It really just depends on what soybean trait they're running on their farm. Showing everything back as the weather has, how much does that really change the overall weed control program for the entire season? It's changed a lot of things. Just because growers are now wanting to get to the field, get the crop planted. So my, my phone constantly uh, here the last last several weeks is crops in the ground. Now what we do, so so we're giving a lot of plan B recommendations. Good news is we've we've got a lot of options there uh, from BASF. So so we can we've been having to kind of curtail a lot of herbicide programs depending on the wheat species and you know whether it's corn or soybeans. I would imagine a time like this, when the producer has so much going on, so much on his or her plate at the moment, being able to counsel with somebody like you can really help out in getting some guidance, what to do uh, when uh, they're devoting attention to so many other things. 
Yeah, that's that's what we're here for. And their local uh, retail salesperson or agronomist, you know, that's that's what we're here for. That's that's our job to make sure that that the growers are getting the correct recommendation and and making sure that we're keeping the, all the yield potential in this crop. Kurt, this contact, this relationship starts well ahead of the planting season, doesn't it? Uh, you're, you're in contact with these growers, some of them the year round. I trust it is year round, and happy happy to do that. Happy to have that relationship. Uh, learn a lot from our growers, and they, they learn from us, and and it's just a, a great relationship. And it's a relationship that's really invaluable uh, when we get in these tough situations. Kurt Martin's technical service representative for BASF joining us. Thanks for your time, sir. You bet.